So thanks for being here again, and uh, we, um, so uh, this is a different, this different week for me because uh, I'm trying out something new today. I'm not wearing it right now, but I have hearing issues, so I have this, I got uh, my very own hearing aid, so after this, when you talk to me, I'll be able to, I'll put this back and I'll be able to hear you, so I'm excited for that. It's, it's, it's a new experience. I don't have it on now because I didn't want to have too much things going on because it's quite, it's a good metaphor. You'll probably hear it in a sermon in, a, in, in time. Um, so uh, today we're talking about your past or my past or our past, and I want to kind of take a different approach on it because I was thinking not just about, uh, like we hear these stories all the time, but I was thinking about kind of this week about my past in church and kind of the things I've heard in church in my past that just have been interesting. Um, you know, for, for so long in church, we talk about grace, hope, and love. In church, and in so many churches, at least many of the churches that I grew up in, it was really the opposite. Like, in my experience, fear was the primary method used to motivate and push people to change. And pastors and church leaders were especially good at scaring kids, or scaring teenagers, and adults even, into making these big life-changing decisions. And I don't know about, I don't know about you, but I was especially susceptible to it growing up. I, it seemed like no matter what the context, I'd be sitting in church and someone would give this invitation, and I was always, I was always going forward. Because uh, that, that was the part of my culture, is you come forward to what we call the altar then. Uh, even, I, I remember even going to, uh, to concerts, like, uh, anyone remember For Him? For Him, anybody? Man, okay. Well, For Him was a, this Christian group, and they did like a Jackie Velasquez For Him thing, or Point of Grace too. anybody? Okay, somebody. Thank goodness. Uh, even then, like, I'd, I'd be like, I'd stand up. They'd say, stand up, anybody who wants to make a decision, I'd stand up. Not that, not that making a decision for God is a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. Um, so I'm not sure if it was just, if I was just particularly sensitive to that in my youth. Uh, but it seems like again and again, I found myself at least looking back on it, like I feel like I was responding out of fear, not out of a sense of a commitment to faith. And it, it was these stories that these pastors and, and youth leaders told that were especially effective. Now, th- whether they are about the, the red-hot flames of hell or the present-day suffering of a life lived away from God, um, but pastors and church leaders were really good at telling these very scary stories so as to motivate people to change. And one of the scariest, it's kind of funny that we're having issues with this this morning. Because <laughs> one of the very scariest stories I heard growing up was that there would be video screens in heaven. So it's kind of, it's really humorous that this is happening right now. So, uh, <laughs> so again, I was taught that there would be video screens in heaven. And, you know, on the surface of myself, that sounds like quite harmless, you know. But as these pastors and these church leaders told it, it was what these screens would be used for that was the really scary part. See, this makes it seem so, so non-fearful now with this background. <laughs> um, but 
And it's funny because I remember I was telling my wife Karina about this. In, in different contexts, she had heard the same story too. So it's like these pastors and youth leaders had like shared the story and then it's like, oh, this is effective. This kid, kid this like get some kids to do some things. Like let's, let's, let's tell it over in my church and in my youth group. Um, so the basics was it, the basics of the story was this. That after we die, we go to heaven and, you know, after we meet Jesus and say hello to our families, we're taken into this, like, a big assembly room of sorts. Like, you know, this except bigger because it's, it's essentially like everybody you've ever known or loved in your life. So I don't know, 150, 200, 300 people, right? You and these 300, let's say, people in this room and uh, you're in there and they're like, you know, Tom Lemke, come on down. And they bring you forward. And they're like, we're going to judge you for everything you've done in your life. Because it's, it's heaven, right? And we've got like a millennia, or we got eternity, right? So we got like, like we got a millennia for Tom, millennia for Harry, millennia for Lauren. So we're just going to bring you forward and put, and they're going to put everything you've ever done on screen for everybody to see. So everything bad you've ever done, all your misdeeds, all your improper thoughts, all your weakest moments on screen and, in, in, you know, blown up for everybody you've ever known and loved to see. Each time our, man, I, uh, I sound like a Baptist pastor here. Each time your eyes lingered lustfully, each time a sensual thought went in your head, each time you wished evil on another person, all there on display for everyone to see. Now, as a teenager, perhaps as you can well imagine, it was quite a terrifying proposition. I mean, not only would the whole thing be quite embarrassing, but, I mean, can I be real? Like, telling the story to teenagers, I feel like it's especially cruel because, you know, teenagers are teenagers. And uh, growing up in a conservative church culture that harped on uh, purity just endlessly and you know, anything, anything outside of that was just evil and wrong, uh, I think you could probably imagine how terrifying it would be for everyone to see what was actually going on in uh, a teenager's head. I'll leave it at that, right? So, uh, to be honest, just talking about it today kind of like, oh, makes me nervous, works me up. Not that I think that in any way it's an accurate description of what's going to happen in heaven, but it had such a powerful impact on me during my formative years. Like, it scared the dickens out of me. And there's just, there's so many stories like that that just scared the dickens out of me. I, I probably shared this story, and I'll probably share it again. But I remember this one, another time when I was in church, and I was a teenager, and we went to, uh, we had a, a revivalist, uh, revivalist uh, at our church. And I remember I, I left there, I left that Sunday morning, just convinced that I was not a Christian, that I was not going to heaven. I mean, I, re- I remember it like I worked at McDonald's uh, in Wheat Ridge, and I remember my family would drop me off after church, and we drove in. I remember that left-hand turn lane on Wadsworth, just thinking like, I'm going to hell. Just convinced of it, just scared to death, and even worse, just like that it was too late. So I don't know what it was that either, I don't know if it just, like, they were just really effective stories, or I was just susceptible, or what. But, like, uh, those stories just really did a number on me. And looking back, I just think, like, that is messed up. 
I mean, if I can be frank, that, to me that is messed up. I mean, not only is it just based on fear and shaming, but if, to be honest, from what I believe about the Bible, I think it's completely the opposite of what we see in Scripture and what the Bible says about God. The Bible says that, that God forgets all our mistakes, that God forgives us completely, but pastors and church leaders seem to, seem to think it, we're telling me that it's the opposite, that, that instead God keeps this giant file system of all our stuff. And yeah, I've heard that one before. And that was probably, <laughs> that was probably invented by some pastor before uh, the days of computers, I guess. Because if, if anything, like God would have all this on like some, some cloud in the sky, right? I guess we'd call it I sin. Come on, nothing for that. And yes, we can laugh at the silliness of such ideas. And honestly, I think they deserve to be laughed at. But then on the other hand, we've got to be real about the amount of psychological damage such teaching has imposed on many of us. Whether it be uh, whether it be the fear of being sent to hell because of our sexuality, fear of being punished by God for a mistake, or just the fear of that the difficult things in our life were the result of God trying to teach us a lesson. I mean, that, that's one, another one for me that just, I really, my wife and I, in our early years of marriage, just, it seemed like, oh, this isn't working out. Is this work, this not working out? And rather than just being like, hey, that's life, things happen, not everything works out in your favor, like, that's just life. Instead, we're just taught to believe that that just means like, oh, you're out of God's will, you're out of God's will, you're out of God's will, rather than being like, sometimes things just don't work out the way we want them to. And these teachings from our past can weigh on us. So I don't know about you, but, you know, for me, if, you, if we've been in church for any length of time, we've probably been influenced by these fear-based or shame-based teachings that shape our practice or influence our decisions. And this is the funny thing, I guess, is in reality, this kind of fear-based or shame-based motivators are actually very ineffective in the long run, and worse, it has lasting negative impacts. I mean, just get on Twitter, if you all any of you on Twitter, and uh, hashtag exvangelical. It's like full of all these people who are just done with Christianity because of what the fear and the, the shame-based culture they grew up in. They just kind of they just kind of abandoned it altogether, which to me is to me breaks my heart because I, I believe that there's more to Christianity and God's message of love through Jesus than what so many people have been taught. So, like I said, um, you know, even if we're not part of those churches anymore, these these messages of fear have a way of sticking with us. Um, you know, I've been away, of, I've been out of that, that culture of churches for about 12 years now, uh, but even, even some things still stay with me. So, um, I, have a, I have a six-year-old daughter, she's six years old now, and, you know, I was taught growing up that you had to, you had to go through what they call the, the sinner's prayer. Basically saying you had to say these right words to God to, to be a real, true Christian. Now, it's kind of humorous because I don't remember Jesus ever saying anything about praying a prayer, being, the, praying, the, praying the right words being necessary, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To me, I remember that he encouraged his, 
his followers to love God and to love others. That's what he boiled down to the, the, the foundation of it all. But many of us were taught that, this, that being a Christian meant this, and if not, like you weren't really a Christian. So for me, as a parent of a six-year-old daughter, having been raised in this fear culture, that if I don't do these things, then those red-hot flames of hell are reality, potentially. Like, I, I'll be real with you, I struggle with that. Like, even though it's been 12 years since I've been out of that culture, even though that's not what I believe, that's not how I interpret the scriptures anymore, there's a part of me that really thinks that I need to have her say those words in order to be a real Christian. I have this still, this small, lingering fear that if she doesn't say those right words, she might be in trouble someday. So it's, it's hard for me because, it, and to be honest, I'm still trying to work out what, it, what that means. Uh, you know, not that, not that uh, and I, like I said, I don't think, I don't believe that those words encapsulate what it means to be a Christian. But I have those fears lingering in the back of my mind based on what I've been taught in the past. And I hate that. Because rather, I want her to follow Jesus. I want her to follow God's way. I want her to show love and kindness to others and do as Jesus did. To me, that's, I believe that's what it really means to be a Christian. But how, how do I move forward when I've had this fear pounded into my head? How do we move forward when we've had this fear pounded into our head? What do we do with that? Well, today we're looking at, uh, we're continuing at our series on doubt. And like I said, we're looking at the question, what if I have a past? But as I said, we're kind of taking a different angle on that. More specifically, how do we deal with our religious past if it was based on fear and shame? And to do that, we're looking at the, uh, the book of Galatians. And I'm realizing that since we don't have it on screen yet, uh, I'm going to have to read it from my phone. And, and I'm going to have to just have you trust me that that's where we're going. Um, so the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to this community of churches, this faith community in, Gal- in the, the region that was known as Galatia, which was a community in Asia Minor, what is now known as Turkey. And uh, the letter was written by, like I said, the Apostle Paul, and he was an early Christian and missionary, and he was a prolific writer. Much of what we have in the New Testament was written by him to different churches or different communities of faith in the ancient world. Now, when Paul was writing these, this letter to the, 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 the community of Galatia or the Christians in Galatia, it seems as though there was quite a bit of conflict in those communities about about uh, have, having issues with their faith. So some kind of religious leader had, had come to that, those communities, maybe several religious leaders, we don't know, had come to those faith communities and said that these followers of Jesus in Galatia were not true followers of Jesus because they weren't Jewish enough. Now remember, we don't, we don't talk about this very often in modern-day Christianity, but Jesus was a Jew. We've kind of, so much of Christianity has kind of forgotten the fact that Jesus was a Jew. 
So Jesus was a Jew, and these, these Jewish people were going to Galatia, people who were not Jews. They were called uh, Gentiles by the Jews. So Jesus, uh, excuse me, these Jews come to Galatia and say, you're not followers of Jesus because you're not Jewish enough. And um, so they said, you know, you've got to follow the Jewish feast stage. You've got to follow the Jewish customs. You've even got to circumcise your men and boys uh, to be legitimate followers of Jesus. Now, kind of in my experience, these, um, these early followers of Jesus, these people in Galatia, they were quite scared by the whole thing. They were like, what do you mean we're not true Christians? What do you mean it's, you know, everything we've been doing isn't, isn't good enough? Um, so in Galatians uh, chapter 2, Paul says to them, like, hey, I'm actually a Jew myself, and I've done all this stuff, but the stuff isn't what matters. It's what Jesus did that matters. So uh, I've given you plenty of time, and I've been playing around here with my, with my phone myself trying to find it, but if you'd like to read along, we're going to do it today. Uh, oh, look, here it is. After all that, good work, Mary. So we're reading from the book of Galatians chapter 2, 15 and 16. And Paul says, However, we know that a person isn't made righteous by the works of the law, but rather through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We ourselves believed in in Christ Jesus so that we could be made righteous by the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law. Because no one, no one will be made righteous by the works of the law, Paul wrote to Galatians in chapter 2. Paul says it's not by doing all the stuff that we're justified, or that word literally means declared good. Our relationship has been made good with God. It's not by doing that stuff that we're good with God. In fact, it has nothing to do with what we've done on our own. Rather, Paul says we're good with God because of what Jesus did. For Paul, it was, it was Jesus' death and resurrection that changed things with God. We're good because of what Jesus did, not because of anything that we did. That's, that's good news. Because if, if you're here this morning and you've been trying to navigate how to live a life not motivated by fear and shaming, if you've been trying to figure out how to move beyond those nagging doubts and fears like I spoke about that were pounded to you into your past if you've been trying to figure out and deal with all these things because you're scared of what God might do to you, I want you to take in these sacred words. You're justified. You're good because of what Jesus did. There are no hoops to jump through, no rules to follow, no rituals you must practice. There's nothing you have to do. Jesus has already done it. Paul wrote elsewhere to the Corinthians, the second book of Corinthians, we call it, that he said, after all these new things, all these new things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So to me that I read it this way, that we're good with God and our ministry, our our work as followers of Jesus is to let other people know, hey, 
we're good with, you're good with God too, to share that good news with others. That no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what you've been told in the past, we're good with God because of what Jesus did. To me, that's really freeing, to be honest. To me, that takes a weight off my shoulders. Because like I said, I grew up in this culture that was just fear-based and shame-based. And I think so many people have grown up in that same culture where we're burdened down by the weight of expectation. We're burdened down by uh, just the guilt of feeling like we haven't done enough or aren't good enough or need to do better. And I think when we're, when we're not burdened down with ourselves, we can care about others. When we're not fearful about God smiting us down, we can live a life of faith and hope. And when we're not weighed down by our past, we can move forward into the future. And that's what we're trying to do here. Because we believe that following Jesus isn't about jumping through hoops, following the right rules, or practicing the right rituals. It's about actually following the way of Jesus. It's really about self-centeredness versus other-centeredness. And for me, at least, when we're freed up to move beyond this, this obsession with, am I doing the right thing? Have I done the right thing in the past? Am I still doing the right thing? Have I done all the rules? Have I practiced all the good things? Am I being good enough? Like when we're free from that burden and that expectation, like we can actually think about other people. I can think about Tom. I can think about Harry. I can think about all y'all. And beyond this community, I can think about the needs of others in our world and in our communities because I'm not obsessed constantly about nitty-gritty picking apart every part and detail of my life, whether I did it right. I can know that I'm good with God because of what Jesus did. Like, I can simply love my neighbor. I can care for the needy. I can think about and look out for the marginalized and oppressed because I'm not obsessed with myself. I, I, I guess the simplest way I can say it is that we're free to live as Jesus lived. And this is what we're trying to do here. To be a church that actually tries to live like Jesus. It sounds simple, right? It sounds really basic. I mean, to be real, it's, it's easier. It's easier to, to, to be effective as a community, as a church community that utilizes control and fear to push people into behavioral directions, to motivate people for change by shaming them and fearing them and guilting them. Like, that's easier. Like, I wish it wasn't, but it's, it's the reality. It's why our, our, so many of our politicians often speak about, speak out of fear about this bad thing happening and that bad thing happening if we're, if we're nice to those people and nice to those people. But I mean, if we can move beyond that fear, like even just beyond, even beyond our own like church context, like think about that even nationally. Like if we can move beyond that fear, like, hey, like I'm good, you're good, like there's enough for us, like there's enough for everyone. Like we can move beyond that fear of not enough, not good enough, lacking. Like all of a sudden, like the world opens up 
And it's like, whoa. Whoa. So, uh, in many ways, this is still to be determined, I guess. We're still a small community trying to make this thing, make this thing work. So I wonder, what might it look like to build a church that was about loving our neighbor? That was about caring for those in need? That was about looking out for the marginalized and oppressed? I mean, living like Jesus lived, right? So, in some ways, we're doing it right now, but there's still more work to be done. Because I believe in this message, and I think this is a powerful message. It's Jesus' message. And I want to invite you to together be a part of what we're trying to do here by participating, giving, volunteering, creating a church where people can live a life of faith, not a life of fear where people can celebrate what Jesus has done, not what we've done. Because we're trying to do something here that's about what Jesus did, not what we've done. So I'm excited for Easter because, yeah, not, of course, it's going to be an opportunity for me, more people to check us out, and, and when people are going to be uh, looking for a church to, to attend, perhaps for the first time, or perhaps for the first time in a long time, so obviously we want to, you know, take this opportunity to, to bring more people in. But I, it's, more than just, it's more than just getting people in. Like, I want, I want us to be able to share that message that, like, you're good. Because of what Jesus did, you're good. And, and uh, we're not going to shame you. We're not going to scare you. We're just going to tell you that God loves you. And God invites you to follow God's way made known in Jesus. And to me, that's a powerfully unique, special, incredible opportunity. So I'm excited that we get to do that at Mission Gathering and that we get to proclaim this message of what this church is about. So that's good news.